and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and there are a great deal of amazing animation events that are happening in the Southern California area within the next couple of months. First up, Women in Animation is having their West Side Mixer at the Wellsbourne in Los Angeles on Thursday, August 10th at 7.30 p.m. Make sure to visit womeninanimation.org for more details. And you can also RSVP on their Facebook page, but an RSVP is not required. Next up, Asifa Hollywood is inviting Asifa members and their guests to a special panel and screening of Marvel's Spider-Man, the newest animated series from the Marvel canon, and that will be held on Tuesday, August 15th at ABC Studios in Burbank, California. Now this is for Asifa members and their guest only, and you'll need to RSVP. So if you're not an ASIFA member yet, make sure to sign up for that and visit their site to RSVP for the event. It promises to be very fun and doors open at 6.30. Next up, the World Animation Celebration will be happening again this year at Sony Pictures Animation, Saturday, September 30th, and Sunday, October 1st. This is presented by Animation Libation Studios and Animation Magazine and is being hosted by Sony Pictures Animation. And it will feature animated shorts from over 45 different countries. There'll be panels, guest speakers, portfolio reviews, artist demos, and more. Tickets are available now and I'll have the website listed in the show notes. And then in November, there'll be two amazing conventions, DesignerCon, which will be on Saturday, November 11th, and Sunday, November 12th at the Pasadena Convention Center. Tickets available now. And also the Creative Talent Network Expo, aka CTNX, will be happening Friday, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th. And discounted tickets are available now and will be available until August 15th. So if you want to save a little bit of money on CTNX this year, make sure to visit the Creative Talent Network Expo website. And all of the websites for all of the events that I have mentioned here will be listed on the animatedjourney.com website, as well as the show notes in iTunes. And thank you to everyone for your patience as I get this episode up and running. I've been working on a project lately that hopefully I'll be able to share with all of you in the next few months. And that's the reason why this episode came out a little bit later than I had initially anticipated. But I thank you to everyone for your support and your patience. And this is a great episode. I know that all of you are really going to love it because today's episode features Sarah Johnson. Sarah is an amazing person. She served as the storyboard supervisor on The Fairly Odd Parents, and now she's the storyboard supervisor for one of Nickelodeon's newest shows, Bunsen is a Beast. Sarah has a wealth of knowledge and information and some fantastic stories, and I know that you're going to enjoy hearing what she has to say today. So without further ado, I present episode 53, Interview with Sarah Johnson. My guest today is Sarah Johnson. Sarah is the storyboard supervisor for Nickelodeon's Bunsen is a Beast, and previously she served as the storyboard supervisor for Fairly Odd Parents. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. This Happy is to be here. Yeah, it's so fun. interesting <laughs> hearing you say what I listen to all the time. I'm just sitting here spacing out thinking, oh, it, I'm listening to an episode of The Animated Journey. Yes, so starring you. So Sarah, 
Like many of the fine people I've met in the animation industry, you are from Michigan. I am, yes. Everyone gets out of Michigan, yes. That's what I, that's what I was, <laughs> Texas too. Texas and Michigan, we all flock to the industry here. And I'm especially from a very rural part of Michigan. I'm from the Upper Peninsula, okay. which is even less going on than the other parts of Michigan that everyone knows about. Wow. Where specifically are you from? From Scandia, Michigan. No one will know where that is. Maybe one person will know where Marquette, Michigan is. I'm outside of that, but other than that, it's it's eight hours north of Detroit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow, but you know what? Somewhere, someone out there... <laughs> someone will is, know. ...knows where that is, yeah. and that's where they are, and they're drawing, <laughs> and they're going, <gasps> Yeah. There's a chance for me in this world to be in the industry. Shout out to all my youpers trying to make it in the world. There you go. So what were some of your experiences growing up in Michigan and exposure to animation and comics? Well, I definitely was, even like as a kid, I was always glued to the TV. I have a twin sister, and my twin sister had no interest in the TV when we were babies, but she would be walking all around, and I would just be glued to it, just staring at that box. But we never had cable growing up at all, so I wasn't exposed to Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network, unless I was at my grandparents' house or my friend's house. So I, I don't have that nostalgia necessarily for all of the Nick shows that everyone's like, oh man, you work at Nickelodeon, isn't it so great working on the same place where all of your cartoons that you watched when you were little? I was like, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> great. You know, I had Saturday morning cartoons and after school later when they moved cartoons, but I was watching all the crappy shows like Free Willy, the animated series, and so many... Oh, man. I didn't even know that was a thing. It was a thing, but I watched it. Don't watch it. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. It doesn't hold up. But my main influence was the Ninja Turtles. If you've seen my cubicle, you would know. Oh, yeah. yeah, and her, I have to say, you guys, her cube is epic. It is one of the most amazing cubicles I have ever seen. Well, it is thank like, you. Helga Pataki has her shrine to Arnold. Sarah has her <laughs> shrine to all things turtles through the ages, too. Yes, through every... In- Carnation, just about of the turtles. I get a lot of people that will stop by my cubicle and they're like, Do you work on turtles? Or did you used to? And I was like, No, no, I don't work on turtles. I just love the turtles. 10 year old me and 10 year old you, we would have been very different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very much so. <laughs> How did you go from, you know, growing up in Michigan, watching cartoons to realizing, you know what? This is a career. This is something that I would actually want to do for a living. It wasn't actually till maybe my junior year of high school, when they're like, oh, you have to figure out what you want to do in college. And I was still, of course, very deep into Ninja Turtles. And I was reading the comic books, and I was like, oh, I want to do comic books. I want to make comic books for the Ninja Turtles. And I emailed someone at Mirage Studios, which at the time still owned Ninja Turtles, telling them I was interested in pursuing comics as a career, and they have any advice. And they emailed me back and said, it's not a good time for comics right now. Most people do it as a hobby, so I wouldn't advise it. So I got that email back. I was like, oh, I guess I won't do that then. And then that Saturday, I woke up to watch Ninja Turtles on the TV. I was like, oh, animation. I could do that. I remember Googling animation schools and trying to see where the Ninja Turtles were made. I'm like, oh, it's animated in Korea. That won't work. But then through more Googling, I figured out that you could actually do it in the States. It was just... Michigan is so far from the entertainment industry, it just never even occurred to me that you could pursue it. So it was just through some Googling and the Ninja Turtles, once I shut down doing comic books, which I could have still struggled my way through that, but I'm happy with the choice I've made. 
your story resonates with me. It's very familiar for anybody, even people that have grown up in California, but anybody who's grown up outside of California and New York, the idea of you're the only person that likes what you like and does what you do, and then realizing, oh, there's this whole other mythical land called animation out there, and I yeah. just have to find a way to get to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how did you decide to go to Rochester Institute of Technology? I got into SCAD, which I was interested in, in going to Savannah College of Art and Design. I also got into RIT, but Savannah wouldn't tell me what my scholarship was until I fully committed going there, and so I didn't appreciate that they weren't telling me how much I'd have to pay total unless I fully committed. I know that Cal Arts was the best animation school, but I wasn't willing to go that far yet, all the way to California. That's a long, <laughs> that's 2,000 miles from home. So I opted for Rochester. Every college says they have a great program online, but it was very much just, this one's close. It's not in Detroit, or close enough. It was still a 13-hour drive, but I don't know. That was the best option for me. It was close enough to home, had an animation program, and was not California. All right. What were your experiences like in school? School was school. (laughs) RIT is interesting because you start out, the program is film and animation, so you start out doing film and animation. Everyone in that program has to do some film and some animation. And usually by the second year, everyone's split by that point. So I did some film stuff my first year, and I enjoyed some of that. I didn't enjoy shooting on Bolex film, like 16 millimeter, because it was so much work and expensive. But when your school gets, the farther away it gets from the industry, generally the less, not less experienced, but less in the know your professors are. At the time I went there anyways, our professors, while knowledgeable, didn't really understand how the current industry works with television. So I was lucky enough to get an internship between my junior and senior year at Film Roman, which was doing King of the Hill, and I was on The Good Family, and Simpsons is there also, or was there, it was in the same building. So when I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is how the industry works. My college does not know what the heck is going on. And if I wasn't going to my senior year, I probably would have tried transferring somewhere else or looking into other programs, but I didn't want to take out more student loans. So I said, all right, I'm going to know what I have to do. Luckily, the internship at least told me, no, you don't have to know how to do everything. We don't want independent filmmakers because that's essentially what my school is training us to do, just make independent animation films instead of being part of a production pipeline. So luckily, I found that out and was able to try and salvage my last year to specialize a little bit. That's good that you found out about the internship. And yeah. a lot of people want to get internships for that very reason, to find oh, yeah. out what exactly it's about. So how did you get your internship? It was through the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, So they have an internship program, and they work across all divisions in um, television and entertainment. So I was part of an internship group that we were across different studios and different between set directors and costume designers. And there was two or three animators altogether. There was one 3D and then two 2D animator interns. And they just gave a $2,000 stipend for the summer. They said, come out, we'll give you $2,000 to cover some expenses. But it was just an online application, so I don't, I don't even necessarily remember. I think you had to write an essay. But I think the fact that I'm from a rural part of Michigan, my entire township of Scandia is less than 900 people. 
So it's super tiny. So generally, people are like, oh, you poor child. <laughs> you live such a sheltered life. Here, let us take you. Let us take you. So that's... <laughs> I'll take you under our wing and show you the ways of the world and culture. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's, let's get you out of there. Here. Oh, my God. Well, so. 900 people. So that must have been interesting. Though. I've never lived anywhere that's... Half of them are my relatives, you know? So. Wow. See, that's amazing to me. Everywhere I've ever lived is always in a major metropolitan area. I've never lived anywhere that's had less than 60,000 people. Oh, so, gosh. That must be cool, though, at the same time. To know everybody. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you know everybody. Or if, mm-hmm. if you don't know them, they know your parents. You know, I went to a high school, and the high school... Well, it was a kindergarten through high school. Less than 400 kids total. And this is a public school. It's not private. It's probably got a 20-mile radius that we're pulling kids from. And everyone's little sister and little brother you eat breakfast with. So it's like, there's the Mackey family. There's everyone. So when you go home, are you, Sarah, the one that went off to Hollywood <laughs> and is now doing animation? Oh, my gosh. I usually just don't see anyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Usually, like, I'm home for such a short amount of time. I'm visiting, like, my grandparents and my immediate family. And there's usually... Not much time for anything else, but there's just not enough people. There's around. not a fanfare and parade I, when you. Return. Yeah, no. <laughs> so you have your internship, and you realize, oh, this is what television animation is all about. I want to do this. You graduate from school. How did you land your first job? It took a long time. I graduated in 2009, which was a horrible time for finding jobs in general. 2008, 2009. So. I came back out to California. Luckily, I have extended family, but they are lovely, and they let me stay with them while I job hunted. And I had a couple freelance gigs, but that was about it. And after six months, I had just about run out of money. So I opted to go back to Michigan, and I lived with my twin sister, and I took some college classes to defer my student loans because it was six months. Your student loans are up, and you either have to fork over money you don't have or take classes and defer them that way. So I did that, and I worked for another year, I guess, while I took college classes. I tutored students in Flash and Adobe and still did freelance. Then I moved to Denver because my sister moved out there for a job, so I was like, sure, that sounds good. I'm just freelancing anyways. So then I moved out to Denver, and luckily, again, I was still staying with my sister, so she was paying rent, so I was scraping by doing freelance. I opened up an Etsy shop, sold some prints and Christmas ornaments. Bless my sister for putting up with me for so long. I was her dog nanny, which worked out because I loved her dog. But I was living in a very tiny space by myself, and I was working midnight hours. I would go to bed when she was getting up to go to work. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I was drinking, like, two full pots of coffee a day. and So I have oh. to go back home. So I went back to Michigan for about another six months. I was doing more freelance there. I just needed space. I needed to not be working where I'm sleeping, and I just needed some space. And I got a lot of freelance work through my college friend, Alex Salzberg, who runs a studio called Poke Gravy. He kept me afloat for a long time doing freelance for him. And then I got my first real studio job at Soup to Nuts, based in Boston, working on PBS's Word Girl, mm-hmm. which was really fun. And that was for a year. And then that leads me up to Nickelodeon Now. So that show was ending. Unfortunately, they're closed now, though. Yeah, shortly after yeah. I was done there. I did some freelance work for Titmouse, and then I got a uh, starboard test for Fairly Odd Parents from Nickelodeon. And that was literally, I didn't know anyone at Nickelodeon, not in any official capacity anyways. There was a couple people on Twitter that I would talk to. But I just applied online to Nickelodeon's online 
portal thing. You had never heard back from any other thing. And it was just a blanket storyboard position. It didn't say what show, but I applied to it. And then a couple weeks later, before Christmas, I got an email saying, thank you for your interest in testing for Fairly Odd Parents. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm interested, sure. And so I did the test, and I'd been talking to Chris Wimberly. I think he had just started up the podcast at that time, or maybe he was for the Animation Network. Mm-hmm. So I had reached out to him for some advice on the test, so he was very helpful. And I managed to do well on the test, and I moved out to California. And I've managed to hang on since. So before I was a storyboard supervisor, I'm really parents. I was just a storyboard artist. So started out doing that. Yeah, what I love about your story is... <laughs> oh, God, it was so long! But I, but I love it, though, because <laughs> you're like, okay, I moved here, and I freelanced, and I worked so hard. And I moved here, and I had Etsy and freelance. moved here and freelance, and I worked here, and then... You applied online and it worked. Because like sometimes people, and I know I was one of those people too, where sometimes you apply online and you wonder, where is it going? What's happening? But it's proof. People see it. Ariel Goldberg, who's our recruiter here, he sees it. All the recruiters, they see your applications. It's not just going into a black hole. Yeah. And that's great that they saw your application and went, yes. <laughs> I don't know why. Asked. I don't know why they did, because I didn't have any storyboard work, but I managed What did to... you submit since you didn't have storyboard I think just my website and resume, and I had an animation demo reel on there. Probably not much else besides that, so... Well, hey, folks, have a website. <laughs> yeah, have Get a website. I would advise having storyboard samples on your website. I think at the time, they did not have a recruiter. Because I talked to Ariel about it out of curiosity one day. I was just, how did I get referred to for this job? And he's like, when was it? I was like, it was right before Christmas, 2014, I think. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think that was in between when we didn't have a recruiter yet because he started in January or around that time. And I was like, oh, okay. So they just, they didn't know what to do. They probably didn't even look at my portfolio. I'm I don't sure know. they did. I'm sure they looked and went, aha. We need to pluck her from the East Coast and bring her here. <laughs> well, also, I lied and told them I was moving out there anyways. So. <laughs> I hadn't actually made plans to move out there like, officially because it's really hard moving without a job, mm-hmm. you know, not having something set up. Because I didn't want any reason for them not to hire me. And I was like, I have housing applications in. I've got some looking at places. Yeah, I should be out there. So then when they called, they were like, can you start February 2nd? And I was like... And that was like two weeks away. I'm like, uh, I, no, I won't be there till the week after that. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, yeah sure. And yeah. you start calling, I need housing. It was an immediate put down the phone and then jump on Craigslist. Who has an available couch? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> non scary roommates. Yeah. Who's out there? Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you got here. So then. Had you done boards before? Had you ever done? No, not really. So how did you ramp up so that since they hired you, you're at Nick, you're at your desk, talking to Butch and all these other people, how were you able to then figure out, okay, here's how to actually do this job? It was very much thrown into the deep end and see if you could swim kind of situation. I watched every Fairly Odd Parents episode. Luckily, Fairly Odd Parents, this was the 10th season. So they had all of the storyboards on the server. So when I got to work, I immediately was just looking at every storyboard possible. When I was driving, I drove from Boston, moved from Boston out here. I had season nine, and I would frame through one of the episodes and thumbnail out the shots because I couldn't find, at that time, I couldn't find any new boards on anyone's website. So I was literally just framing through and thumbnailing out the actions from season nine. Like we'd get to the hotel and I would 
probably only like two or three times on the road trip anyways. It took about a week to get here, but I would I would sit down and I would frame through the episode and draw out the gestures and when they cut and everything. So it was very much, I just had to osmosis everything I could into my brain. Yeah, I just lucked out that I was on a show that had a ton of reference and a ton of backgrounds already on the server, so I didn't have to worry so much about getting all that right. So that was helpful. So you're just like, all right, and now downloading complete. Now I can do the boards. And I think coming from animation is helpful because you're animating from storyboards, so at least you're very aware of, instead of if you had come from prop design or character design, since I was an animator, I was still looking at everyone's storyboards. It was just I was animating to them, not drawing them. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I know that for the longest time, and even now, there's the death knell of animation, <laughs> it's dead and no one's doing it, but just from doing this show, I have learned that 2D, while you don't necessarily see it in feature in the States, there are a lot of people working in 2D, some of them at the major studios. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Soup to Nuts was pretty small. They did, they're probably best well-known for Home Movies, which was a Cartoon Network show, which oh, I, I, I I've only seen a few episodes. Man, but. I've seen that entire run of that series. Yeah. That is one of the best shows ever. And then the main guy went on to create Metalocalypse. Yeah, about, yes. Which is so funny. You just go, well, I remember hearing a story that um, I believe he went to Juilliard. Like, he's a oh. musical prodigy, yeah. I believe is his story. And oh, so you go from Home Movies to... Awesome metal band, and they're yeah. playing all their own music. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, definitely a big shift for him. But yeah, there, there's lots of 2D work out there, but uh, the problem is generally it's you're not as well paid for it, especially if you're freelancing out. It's not as sustainable as it should be. You know, as far as movies, 2D animation isn't as thriving, but definitely television, freelance work, Flash is still big. Bunsen is animated in Flash. There's still opportunities there, but you really gotta apply to everything and get your work out there. And let's talk about pay too. Do you feel like the pay is, is it low because people are pricing themselves too low? Or is it low because people don't know what they should be paying people? Or is it something else completely? A little bit of both. The problem is there's always someone willing to do it cheaper than you. So it's really a balance of knowing your worth and knowing when it's worth it to bid a little lower just so you have work. I was lucky that I was always, almost always staying with family and didn't have rent to pay. My parents wouldn't make me pay rent. And then when I lived in Grand Rapids with my sister, we were in a super bad part of town, so rent was really affordable. Between me and her for our basement room, it was, we each paid $140 a month for rent. What? Yeah. We had four roommates, so it was... That is... But still, I mean, <laughs> yeah. 140 times 4, that's... Yeah, so like when, when you don't have like those peanuts. expenses, you can work for peanuts. <laughs> the thing is, a lot of my classmates and people I know, it was really hard to break into animation in 2009, and a lot of people just couldn't find the jobs, and so you have to go on to something else. And I had the benefit that I had a very supportive family that let me scrape by doing whatever I could to keep doing what I was trying to do. And so that just kept me on a track of getting more work. You know, you kind of have to start with those small projects, those ones that you don't really want to take or anything like that, but eventually it will spiral into work you enjoy, or at least hopefully enjoy. Have you found most of your friends that you graduated with, were they able to do the same, or did a lot of people end up just dropping off and just not doing animation at all? I know two people working in animation. 
but most everyone else has gone on to other things. This was probably like by the time we graduated, maybe there was 20 animation kids total. So I think I only know for certain three of us that are working doing animation stuff. But I can't say for certain. <laughs> it was really tough. It was a bad time to graduate. From my internship, I was in contact with one of my mentors, um, Ken Wong, and he would send me job listings all the time to try and help me find work. And he would send me like, you know, here's a PA position, but just so you know, I know a couple directors that are also applying for this because there just wasn't any work. So oh he'd gosh. send me these job listings, but just tell me, he's like, just so you know, there's a lot of people applying for this, but please try. How did you find your mentor? He was working on King of the Hill, and the internship that I had, I spent two weeks doing every job in the, in the pipeline. So that was fun. So it was like two weeks of storyboarding, two weeks of character design, two weeks of background design, two weeks of directing. And he was just one of those guys that was always interested and helpful, and I had shown him my junior film, maybe, and he just got a huge kick out of it. And... Um, I don't know, it was one of those things that like, if you're just nice and people are nice back to you, you just try and foster that. And I gave everyone coffee cups with little flower candy. I super glued all these candies into flower shapes and put them in coffee mugs and like gave everyone a coffee mug on my last day and carrying these giant boxes in. He was willing and I try and like stay in contact as much as I can. Around Christmas, I'll try to remember to send emails to people. He was just a good guy and he had a lot of faith in me that I would make it eventually. So I lucked out that he was willing to help me out as much as he did. That's fantastic. I love mentors, and I love hearing that. I love hearing the story of you meet someone at work or your internship or school or a friend, and they're like, I believe in you. I am going to help you out. Yeah. That makes my heart feel good to know that there's people <laughs> out there that you know, they want you to succeed and they yeah. want you to do well. Yeah, and, and, and you know, in that aspect, don't be clingy about it. If someone's like willing to help you, don't constantly email them. I would say like every few months I would email him just to see how he's doing or asking what show he's working on now. Just being friendly but not help me find a job, you know. <laughs> Save so, my career. Yeah, usually like I try and follow it up with things that I had been working on so it wasn't always I'm not working on anything so I'm emailing you. It was always I'm doing freelance for this company right now yeah. and you know. See that's smart. It's like can you feel the desperation through the email because yeah. it's real. It's like no, yeah. no, no, no. Bring that back a little. Yeah, always. You have to at least email at times when you're not job searching because if every time you reach out, it's when you're looking for a job, it just doesn't reflect well. You need to follow up on times. Even if it's just a quick email like, hey, what's up? Just want to say hi or I'll be in town. You want to grab coffee? Just keep it simple. <laughs> so Simple and friendly. Yeah. Wise words. So let's get back to Fairly Odd Parents. What was it like working on that show on such a legacy show that you know had an established track record super popular you know butch hartman that's his <laughs> first show doing super great what was that like it's very interesting because i didn't realize at the time that they had lost just about everyone that had been on the previous season because there was such a big gap between them ordering new episodes and when the other episodes had aired so it was 90 percent a new crew so it was kind of nice in the aspect that a lot of us, it was like our first time, like big studio jobs, and there was a lot of younger people, so I started up a Nerf battle game. <laughs> so it was nice that we all kind of were on the same page of, this is new, this is great, and we all worked really hard because it was, it was our first real job, so we all just put 110% into it. But 
Yeah, you don't realize how giant of a following Fairly Odd Parents has. So there definitely was a lot to live up to. And, you know, since I didn't grow up with Nickelodeon, I hadn't watched a ton of it. Of course, I had, I knew the show. But it was interesting because every time you tell someone, oh, I work on Fairly Odd Parents, you get such a response. So that was, that was cool. And we learned a lot. So it was good. How did you go from being a storyboard artist on the show to becoming a storyboard supervisor on the show? So for the last half of season 10 of Fairly Odd Parents, they opted to move the production to Canada. It was kind of a test run for Bunsen. Uh, They wanted to test out the pipeline, as I understand it. There was lots of things involved that I I don't want to guess at. (laughs) So while no one was losing their jobs because we we were only contracted to the number of episodes, they ordered... Six more episodes, uh, 12, 11 minute episodes altogether, but they were going to move it to Canada. So, and no one really knew what was happening for sure, and it all kind of came out of the blue, but they needed someone to stay and like oversee the boards that were coming back because Butch didn't have time to do everything. So it was just one of those things that Butch really enjoyed working with me. I knew the style really well. I was very good at getting probably the least amount of notes on my boards. And I think that is kind of a benefit as, since I hadn't storyboarded on anything else, I didn't have any conflicting storyboarding habits that I had to get rid of that wasn't necessarily in the style of the show. Because all I knew how to board was in the style of Fairly Odd Parents. So like, I know how to board Fairly Odd Parents. Um, whereas other people had come from other shows, like the Cleveland show or American Dad those habits didn't necessarily translate over as well to Fairly Odd Parents because it's just two completely different shows. So, yeah, I just, I knew I knew what Butch wanted and he had faith in me and he had trust in me, so he asked me to stay on and oversee Fairly Odd Parents and then oversee Bunsen once Fairly Odd Parents because we were going to roll straight from Fairly Odd Parents into Bunsen. And what's it like overseeing a crew that's in another country? Well, it's pretty hands-off because, honestly, they do a very good job. So some of their board artists are great, and some of them are, you know, like, really, this boring pose again? Like, stop copying and pasting this pose. I'm sick of seeing it. But they do a really good job, so I don't actually interact ever, really, with the board artists because the board artists are freelanced out from the studio that we hire. So they're not even done in-house. I think they're revised and directed in-house and everything, but I think all of their board artists are freelance off-site so it would be like a three-way communication we used to do handouts with the storyboard artists in the studio where we would all do a conference call and be like do you have any questions on the script anything that we can help with and they never did so we stopped doing it but (laughs) there was one time when we were having a conference call between us in the studio in Toronto and then the board artist was in Hong Kong so it was there's not much channels of communication that way you know we're always open to it I always said like please, if you have any questions, ask me. I'll email you back. But no one ever had any questions. So so really it just comes down to um, we get the animatic back, and then Butch and I sit down and we go over it and talk about what he wants changed and things that aren't working, and then I sit down. So it's almost like a glorified revisionist job, except I get to make all the executive decisions and say, like, nope, get rid of this, change this, and I don't have to run it by anyone. So. Nice. Well, Butch gets final approval, yeah, of course. but It's like between the two of you, it's like, you talk, you say, all right, we're going to do this, this, and this. You trust your judgment, you do it, you show it to him, he's great. Yeah, and sometimes it's like a lot of changes, and sometimes there's very few, so it totally depends on the board artist. 
So then what is it like now working on Bunsen? How is that different or the same from working on Fairly Odd Parents? Well, Fairly Odd Parents, we were a lot more strict with the notes because Fairly Odd Parents had a definite style and had a different way that the characters moved and acted. They were set in stone. Whereas starting on Bunsen, they were brand new characters. So we really had more freedom in things that the acting and the staging, things like that. So the studio, uh, George Elliott, they did a good job with bringing that all to life. And so it was easier because we didn't have 10 seasons prior of, well, Timmy doesn't do that or Timmy doesn't do that. You know, like you can't add that joke because that's Cosmo wouldn't do that. So there was less rules on Bunsen. A little more freeing. It's like, well, Mikey and Bunsen, they've never done that. So yeah. we can have them do that. They've never said this or done this or gone to this place before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I know that the, the template for the show is a little, it seems a little bit freer too. Because I mean, there's rules obviously for like the monsters, but I feel like it, just from watching a show, it doesn't seem like it's quite as set in stone or their rules but it's like but if the monster does this then this crazy wild thing happens you're like yikes yeah <laughs> yeah there, there really aren't any rules yet yeah. you know like and we don't have a rule book like Fairly Odd Parents had mm-hmm. the rules of wishes they couldn't make and things like that so with Bunsen it, it was just completely open if you know we wanted him to pull in half and then drink a potion through his stomach oh that's fine normally he eats through the head in his hole but we can have him eat whatever any which way like we had an episode where he's planting trees through his tail. Like, he's he's like garbage disposal. They put garbage in his head, and then a tree comes out his tail, and he plants it in the ground. <laughs> so there's, like, all kinds of weird stuff that we can do, and it's up to the board artist to, to think of crazy things like that. And since you're going over all the boards, you know, now that you're a supervisor, you're going over the boards, you're making changes, making edits, seeing what's working and what's not working. For people out there who want to be board artists, what are things that you've noticed that really good storyboard artists do? Our best board artists on Bunsen, the one thing that they have going is that they're very loose with their drawings, very gestural. But that works because we're a puppet show and it's digitally animated. We don't have to worry about staying on model because you have the model. Here's the character, drop it in, animate it. So you just push that pose as much as you can to match the storyboard. Whereas with Fairly Odd Parents, it was very much clean up these boards, make them look on model because the animation studio in Korea is going to draw exactly what's on that storyboard. So that needs to be tight and clean. You always want to make sure you get those close-ups in of important facial expressions, of important things. You don't want to talk about something and then you only ever see it in a wide shot. Cut and close. I want to see what you're talking about. And then just the posing. If you've got those hands on the hips... For the whole shot, don't do it. you got to change something. Characters have to react. You know, if a character's not doing anything in the scene, then why are they in the scene? Cut in closer. Things like that. You know, you have three characters here, and one of them is standing in the corner. Yeah, yeah. If they're, not, the if they're just standing there blinking, they don't need to be there. Just, like, cut in close. If the two characters are interacting, let's see that interaction better. You don't need to be wide to include everyone. If that person perks up, yeah, cut wide. Let's see them talking, but yeah. So things like that. That is good to know. And I guess, conversely, like, what are some things, I mean, you already kind of mentioned this a little bit, are there things to avoid when storyboarding? Stam hands on the hips. <laughs> Take those no hands, hands off the hips. hips no one stands there like that the whole time someone's talking, unless you're doing it to be funny. Which I guess if it works for the gag, if it works for what the character is talking about. 
the posing, I think, is probably like the biggest thing that I think everyone should work on. You don't want, you really want to push the start pose and the end pose. If a character is, figure out a way to make sure the first pose that you have and the next pose that you have are as different as you can make them. If a character is leaning back with their arms out, you want that next pose when they say something to be leaning forward with their hands clenched or something. Just get that acting in so it's moving. You want characters to be moving. But that was something to do and not something to avoid. Avoid just moving the arms. Don't have, unless you're working on Family Guy or American Dad, that's the show where just their arms move. They just stand there, move their arms. Don't do that. That's, that's boring. It works if it's a script-driven show and everyone's talking and you just want to be focused on what they're saying. But as far as animated show, really, like you want to see the characters moving. You want, you want it interesting. You want it engaging. You shouldn't blink and see the exact same thing when you're done blinking. They <laughs> blink, they're still standing they're there. They're still they standing blink, there. Still there. Yeah. This is part of the gag, I guess. It's like the amazing blinking person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing blinking person. There you go. Nothing's happening. It's yeah. just very unnerving and unsettling. It's like, oh, they're still there and you're just blinking at them. Yeah, okay. it could work. Yeah. I know you have personal projects that you are working on as well. Tell us yeah. about some of the personal projects you have going on. Oh my gosh. I'm one of those people too that that keeps thinking up new things and you have one idea and then you kind of be like, oh, but this new shiny, shiny idea. I'm working on different pitches for different things. There's really nothing concrete for sure as far as anything I could say is a for sure. I've pitched so many things too, like for the shorts program and just other things that I have working the end game for me my career goal is to have my own ninja turtle show because i've got the best idea for it i'm just come on nickelodeon and just like i know in a few years i got it i got it just let me know so when aunt and andy are done play <laughs> all right i'm ready to roll in for the next yeah, version my <laughs> five ten year plan is i've got the idea and I'm, I'm working on artwork right now but i've got it all <laughs> planned out that's it's great. like my own stupid fan fiction i don't think that's stupid at all because <laughs> it has worked for hey yeah. zero love turtles it worked for him yeah. andy and aunt it worked for them i don't see why it couldn't work oh, for you. Again, that, your I'm, cube i, I know my cube. cube and that like the perfect way to like make it more girl power without i'm very much an intro fan so it's like i know i could always write a series about april and i have a pitch for that too but I was like, but I want a show about the Ninja Turtles, but I want girl mutants. And I was like, there's a Venus de Milo that everyone hates. I don't know how many people know there was a fifth girl yeah. Ninja Turtle for But she could a be a turtle everybody loves. I got it planned out. It's not yeah. that. It's not that. But it's really cool, and I just want to make it. But someday, someday. People will know. Yeah. I've let people know. I was that's like, good. I, I got the idea. You come that, to me. That's very important. That's, that's <laughs> one of the things is you have to... I remember talking to Karen Kirkland, and he said, she said to me, you have to be intentional. Yeah. It's, it's not enough just to be like, oh, I want to do this. You have to be very intentional, and you have to tell the right people, say, this is what I am interested in. Here are examples yeah. of what I can do, and here's what I like to do, and just let powers that be know, <laughs> yeah. just, here it is. And I know it's a long process, and it's one of those things, too, that while I have that idea, I know that no one's going to be like, yeah, sure, throw it to this... I don't want to say a noob necessarily because I've been in the industry for a while, but just not at Nickelodeon for long. But at that same point, before they let you 
have a show or green light anything you have to be a creator before they let you create so you have to go out there and you have to make your own things whether it's comics or even just posting artwork you have to show that you are working and that you know how to put out a product whether it be especially if you want to show you really have to put out stories in one form or another whether it's your own shorts or comics or just artwork that tells a story you have to be a creator before they let you be a creator. You need job experience, get a job. How do you get job experience? It's one of those things. Create your own job. Yeah, yeah. It's literally, (laughs) you create your own work. Even people that, use this example, I love Joss Whedon, I love his stuff. (laughs) Before, he was uncredited on rewrites for movies, then he was writing movies, then he was creating his own show, and he had to create all this other stuff before they said, hey, you've spent over a decade creating all your own content, we're now going to give you the keys to Marvel. Yeah. Now you can direct this gigantic, massive a movie. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Like you said, you just have to make stuff. I mean, that's why we're all here. Yeah. Most of us at the studio, we're here because we made our own stuff and somebody saw it and went, oh. Yeah, exactly. That's a thing that's cool. Come in for an interview. Yeah. It's not good enough just to apply. You have to be visible. Well, it's true. I mean, how else are they going to know you're there? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about pitching because that's a process that a lot of people want. A lot of people have ideas they want to pitch, but the pitch process, especially if you've never been in the studio, is very mystical. Yeah. So how does that work? Well, I've really only pitched for, like, the shorts program here at Nickelodeon. And, well, first time you do it, it's, like, very stressful. Generally, you get good feedback. But it's very much, you just have to throw it all out there. And they're changing it a little bit for the shorts program this year for employees. But you have your characters. And essentially what I do is I draw the characters. I have a nice character design, and I have a little bio for them. And it's up on the screen, and they can read it. But I essentially then memorize a paraphrased version of that little paragraph talking about the character. And I add little extra nuggets in there. Because I don't want it to be boring like, oh, you're looking at the screen here. Just read this paragraph. I'm going to read this paragraph to you. So I write down and I paraphrase in different ways. And I find my favorite way to paraphrase that paragraph. I know enough about this that I can just talk willy-nilly about this character and give you little extra things that you don't see in the one paragraph about that character up there. So I think it's, you have to prep a lot, but it's really just putting it out there and just knowing it well enough that you can paraphrase the content because no one wants to read what's up there if you can just talk about it instead. So it's just characters, talking about the world. For the shorts program, it was always a storyboard accompanied it, so you have to be able to pitch your storyboard. It just comes down to calming your nerves and having a little bit of confidence and just knowing that they probably won't pick it up that's always the thing it's such a low chance of success rate in any form of pitching that you just have to look at it from a point of view that I'm doing this for the experience of pitching because if you're interested in creating and making a show you just have to get used to pitching you have to get comfortable with it so you just look at it as they might not take it but at least I pitched at least I'll get some feedback and my next pitch will be better Don't go in with your hopes super high, but go in knowing that it'll be a good experience. This one show encompasses all of my hopes and dreams. (laughs) Every single hope and dream. And if they don't don't pick it up, that's like, no, that's not Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) If it's your baby, too, if it's your pitching idea that you have nurtured and is your baby and that you know in and out and this is your one dream project, be careful with that one because 
you're not going to take good criticism from that probably if you know it so well. If it is your dream project, try and make it yourself because once the studio gets involved, things might change and it might not be your baby anymore. Have another idea. So would so. you recommend rather than pitching your baby, it's like, well, I, I have this other idea. Just Would you recommend then like first couple of times pitching just something else entirely? Yeah. Just something you obviously that you very much like, but you know what? If it dies on the altar of the yeah. pitch gods, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be so like held to that idea that if the studio wants it, but wants to make changes. You know, if it's, if it's your baby of an idea, you want to be experienced enough that you'll be able to say no and that it will be worth it to you that if a studio wants to make changes that you don't feel is true to your story, you can say no and cut your losses. That and just, you don't want to go on your first pitch ever and pitch this giant idea that is the thing that you've always wanted to make because that pitch isn't going to be good because it's your first pitch. So I would suggest pitching other ideas first just so you're not so nervous by the time you do pitch that big idea that you have. You don't want to go in there and just lay it all on the table and then they'd go, whoa, that was a lot. <laughs> you know, you'll probably scare them away. But you can pitch that idea, but just know they probably won't take it. That Got sounds to... like dating. It sounds like, you know, on your first date, you don't want to be like, so, <laughs> so here's my entire life story. Yeah. I want to have five kids. <laughs> uh, all, the, all the skeletons in the closet. Look, I brought them all. Yeah. I dressed them, and they're all sitting around the table with me. It's like, no, no, you yeah. ease into all that. Yeah, pitching is very much like dating. Just think yeah. of it like that. You want to reel them in slowly. <laughs> <laughs> reel them in slowly. That's slowly. Time. It's like, you're in too deep now. Yeah. You get out, now. I'm going to tell you all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got you now. <laughs> no escape. <laughs> Uh, that sound that took a very dire yeah. turn. <laughs> That's also how we date. That's also yeah. how we date. Does Kurt know this? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know. That's how I got him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, now. She's like, wait a minute. What? How yeah. Kurt, don't listen to this. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man, that's great. So, you've done very well, and you've been highly resourceful, which is amazing <laughs> and awesome. And I know that there are a lot of other people there out there that they're having a hard time too. I mean, I like what I like about your story is you did not get here immediately. It wasn't, you got out of yeah. school and then here's a rose, here's a bouquet, yeah. here's a box of chocolates, it was here's six a plane years. ticket, yeah. now you're here. And the same thing with me, like it wasn't, hey, got to school and then look, a job, ta-da. It didn't yeah. happen that way and it doesn't happen that way for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't so, think most people. For people out there that are kind of in the same boat, maybe they've already graduated, maybe their program at school is not the best, how were you able to hold on to that dream until you got here? Well, definitely the support from my sisters and my family. For a while, they just thought I would maybe never make it, but I was still trying, you know? It was one of those things that I knew I was going to get there eventually. This is one of those things that I think it's very hard once you stop making stuff to really keep that dream alive you know I was lucky that I was able to like keep freelancing and it was still animating stuff I can still update my demo reel you know every few months I'm still out there like, making content at least I can still say I'm an animator and that's important to do and even if it's just part-time or even if it's just small things when I was living in Denver I was doing this freelance project it was South Park style bar mitzvah video <laughs> yeah weirdly specific yeah <laughs> South Park bar mitzvah video and it was just so tedious animating it I really needed something to break it up so I started this 
silly gift series called Ordinary Batman Adventures, which was this huge thing that caught on on Tumblr. This was 2012, maybe? And so I was getting hundreds of thousands of notes on some of these, like, Batman gifts. I was just doing three-frame, 20-frame animations, black and white, of Batman doing stupid stuff, eating an ice cream cone. The biggest one was him sliding around in an office chair. To the point that people started mimicking it, they would send me videos being like, look, I'm Batman. And I'm like, sure you are. (laughs) Which is actually how Chris Wimberly, I think, found out about my work. Because, of course, he's a giant Batman fan. I think he is the Batman fan of all time. As I am to Turtles, he is to Batman. Yeah. It used to be an SAT question. (laughs) Sarah is to Turtles, as Chris is to Blank. Yes, Blank. (laughs) I even had a couple news sites write up articles about it so it was just like a little push that's oh hey you're doing animation people are like it you're not getting paid for this at all but at least you have 30,000 followers now on tumblr it was exposure but it was my own exposure even if you have a time to make a three frame animated loop and if it's something that was stupid and people love it's better but even if it's just for yourself remind yourself i'm an animator i can do this even if it's just artwork Draw that fan art. There's nothing wrong with doing the fan art. Reach out to that community and say, come to me. I'll draw this. Try and like this this other thing that I drew. I know it's not yeah. fan art, but maybe you'll like it. Because mm-hmm. even with 30,000 followers, I'd post the original artwork and it would 100 notes. Nothing. But still. <laughs> if it's a, not Batman, they didn't love it. But that's 100 more than you would have had if you hadn't done anything. Yeah. Post fan art of art that you genuinely love and adore. And also, post your own stuff. Do both. You like it, draw. If you don't like fan art, don't draw yeah. fan art. And if you like ho- fan art, draw fan art and draw your own stuff. Yeah, and hopefully one day you'll get to a point that people just want to see your original artwork. Yeah. You know, and every time you do fan art, it's like, oh, what a treat. You it's know? Friday. Here's yeah, some here's some fan art. Fan yeah. art Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one of those days. <laughs> get there. There you go. So what would you say to high school Sarah or college Sarah who is embarking (laughs) on her journey and did not yet know the perils and pitfalls and triumphs that would eventually ensue. Oh my god, I would probably tell her to go to a different college. But I might not be where I am today if it wasn't for that crazy 10-minute path I talked about, career path. Just say, keep working at it. Don't worry. I mean, there's no way. I'd be like, you think they're going to suck in 2008. Just wait till you get to 2017. Yeah. (laughs) I have, uh, a, I have a similar story to that, too, and I feel like I don't know if that would have encouraged me or not, but be like, just so you know, 2008 through 2011, garbage years. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, garbage what? Year. No! You know, when you're right. graduating with all that debt, enjoy it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I guess I would just try and be like, don't worry, just keep going. Yeah. Keep going, poor baby Sarah. That is excellent advice. So, Sarah, is there... Anything I haven't asked you or anything that you're dying to say, you have the floor, you have the microphone. (laughs) Yes. You are all my slaves now. (laughs) (laughs) Does it work that way? Do you just, no, no. A a podcast doesn't really have that kind of power. Sorry to let you know about that. Man. You're not easy. (laughs) Man, I can't think, I I think we covered a lot of bases. These are our usual lunchtime talks anyways. Yeah, I know. It's great. We're, actually, we had lunch yesterday, and we were basically saying, so, you ready for your interview tomorrow? And Sarah's response was, yeah, so we can talk about everything that I just talked about today, but I have a microphone in front of you. Yeah, I know. Now I have time to polish it a little bit, you know. Uh, this is why I wanted to talk with you. It's because you're super honest about your journey and everything you went through and what it's like working on a show and freelancing and studios, and you're not afraid to say, yeah, 
college debt, it stinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird apartment situations. Almost all of us, I've yeah. been there. Yeah. You know, like, hey, my apartment's filled with vermin. Ah. Like, weird <laughs> ah. things happen. But I can so. afford this. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's <laughs> like, yeah, there's tons of mice, but I can afford living here and I know how to get rid of you now. Yeah. Yeah, and it happens, you know? It's one of those things, too, that since I have pink hair and curly hair, like, people always think that I'm younger than I am generally speaking I don't want to sound like I'm trying to brag about it no people do that to me too it's like you're 20 it's like yeah I know (laughs) like I just turned 30 this year and I've only been at Nick for two years there's time there's time for for everybody I'll I'll let people keep thinking I'm one of those youngins that snuck in here but (laughs) I'm hoping it'll right now it aggravates me to no end but I'm hoping that when I'm 70 that they'll just like they don't know (laughs) (laughs) I will learn all the technology and never leave this desk yeah you're gonna be like Floyd or they just can't kick you out man that would be if I could be like (laughs) a tenth of Floyd Norman yeah like Eric Goldberg man that would I need to start now you start like working on those skills, building yeah. that legacy today. Yeah, we need to find a little cubicle here, and this will be our retirement cube. A retirement cube that would be just kind of harden it off, like pushing it off right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, no one sees me, right? No one, no one sees. I'm me. just so good that everyone's not going to question why I'm here. Well, I feel like that's a big part of it too. Just be so awesome and friendly. Yeah. That. If they're like, wait, they're not here? Oh, no, what have we done? That yeah. they, like, panic and then bring you back. But it's nice right now because I know in future job searching that there are people out here that would like to keep me around. And, like, our line producer, you know, she's always asking me about future things. And, you know, I have a lot of people that are in my corner, regardless of how many job openings there are right now. It's like, at least people know. People are trying to keep me. And that's just part of be friendly, be nice, and... You know, when you make those connections, just remember to ask, how was their weekend? You know, especially like if they have kids, like how did their recital go? I heard they had a recital. Those tiny little interactions, they add up so people remember you. Those are important. Be a good human. Yeah. (laughs) Be be a a good good human. human. And also, you go to a lot of industry events. Like I know that you go to, you know, you go to the women in animation mixers, you go Mm -hmm. to the animation network podcast mixers, you go to screenings, so you're not... You're not a hobbit. You go out and you meet with other people and you see what other people are doing and you participate. Yeah. And that's huge. It helps, too, that since I have the pink or the purple in my hair that people recognize yeah. me more. <laughs> well, that's how I bet you. Because I remember following you on Twitter for the longest time and I saw you at a mixer and I immediately knew who you were. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's Sarah. I'm going to go and say hello. Honestly, it was intentional, too. I hate to say, like, that's why I chose my hairstyle. But I wanted to do something different and I wanted... To be the indicator, because I've had people that be like, oh, do you know Sarah? And they'd be like, oh, no, I don't think so. And they're like, oh, she's got, like, the pink or the purple at the end of her. They're like, oh, yeah, I've seen her around. And so just through people, like, being able to clearly identify me mm-hmm. is helpful. But I, I don't know, because I just want to be like, okay, I'm at Nickelodeon now. Mm-hmm. I want people to remember who I am, so I bleached my hair. No, but that's not, I mean, you know Tara Helfer? She has her possum stickers, which are awesome. Oh, yeah, You have yeah. your pink hair. I have pretty much an afro. So, <laughs> hey, yeah. it all... Well, God, you're so great with people, though. You're so friendly (laughs) anyways. People always remember you. Oh, thank you. She's got a beautiful smile. Thank you. Or is that creepy? I don't know. That's not creepy. creepy. (laughs) You're my friend. So, no, but that's great. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Because your online presence is awesome, so everyone should follow you It needs to be better, though. It needs to be better. You know, my Tumblr is kind of, like, abandoned. It's a ghost town. Ah, you, but, should, you should repopulate I that know. Tumblr. The problem is Ordinary Batman got so big, it got should be too much pressure. 
I stopped doing it because everyone was the like, weight of your where success. is more Batman? And I was just like, I can't think of anything else stupid for him to do. I'm active on Instagram and Twitter, at least remotely anyways. And both of those are the same handle at Sarah J Sketches. And it's S-A-R-A-H J Sketches. Sarah right. with an H. And everyone should check that out. And they should especially follow your Instagram because you've been doing these really awesome neon colors. Oh god, I've gone 90s. Inspired. Yeah. It's like 80s. It's 90s cuz I I immediately thought of like Oh yes, yeah, 80s and late 90s. Late 80s, early 90s where you had like Burger King Kids Club yeah. and like the Capri Sun Kid and yeah. the Blockbuster Video Kids where everybody's like, "Hey, look, we're this band of kids with rad styles and skateboards." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, I love this." Yeah, it's like everyone's in it was when they like made all those Looney Tunes shirts where all the like Looney Tunes yeah. characters and they're all those, like, sagging with like yeah, backwards chains and everything, yeah. but that but 80s neon colors. Yeah, it reminds me of a Gravity Falls or like what was his name? Like oh, 80s yeah. Dinner? What was his name? I'll have to put that in post, the post notes. Yeah, post but notes. Yeah, to, at too. the end of the episode, I have to add that in. But it was awesome. It's just like, no, not that guy. Are those two dudes that Mabel loves? Oh, yeah. Like, with the Chad awesome... and Zach or something? Yeah, oh, they had remember. weird names, too. But, yeah, that kind of thing. I yeah. love the style. So check out all of I would love it if you just did that for, like, all of your original <laughs> characters, too. It's like cool dudes oh on skateboards gosh. and cool ladies on skateboards. Yeah. With, like, I love those colors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a 90s kid. I can't help it. I can't help myself. Well, Sarah, it has been absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. On the record this time. Yeah, we have one of our conversations now on record. Yeah. So there we go. When we're in the uh, old folks uh, animation retirement home, we can look back and be like, we were amazing. Yes, (laughs) we were awesome. Very good. Well, thanks again for being a guest on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And that concludes my interview with Sarah Johnson. Special thanks to Sarah for being a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out all of her links in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney and clicking on the PayPal donation button. All of your donations help me to pay for hosting for the show, as well as other technical costs. And make sure to support all of our affiliate sponsors, Amazon.com, Blueberry Podcast Hosting, Loot Crate, and Audible.com. Every time you click on one of the banner ads and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has left a positive review, who has sent me lovely emails and Twitter responses and Facebook messages and supported our affiliates and donated. I really appreciate it. And you help to keep the show up and running and to see what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation. Make sure to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So that concludes today's episode. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.